Well, you've already heard the word Easter. Now, I think twice, right? Easter week is coming. Can you believe it's already here? This is Easter week. And so this time next week, we'll all be decked out in our Easter best, racing to get here and find a seat with the rest of Spokane, right? Right? So uh, we get to kind of compete with the Creasters. Now, I grew up as a Creaster, Christmas Eve, Easter Sunday churchgoer. Anybody else in the room? A few of us, right? And you know that there will be several Creasters here next week. And I, I love that as a church, we get the opportunity uh, to kind of pour into them and love on them. But that's next week. Today is Palm Sunday, and you've heard this a couple times this morning. Let me give you just a little history. I'm going to recap what Nate said on Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus had been, uh, he was on earth, and he was um, teaching and, and healing in the surrounding areas, and Palm Sunday actually commemorates the day when he was coming in to Jerusalem, and he came in riding on a donkey, and all the people had heard about this Jesus. They had heard that he'd been healing and that he was a miracle worker, and so they wanted to see him, and they, they, um, they knew that he was their king. They hailed him as their king, and so they waved palm branches, and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, but as Nate pointed out, these are the same people who just days later would call for Jesus' death who would condemn him at his trial and then crucify him as a criminal, which is really interesting because Easter paints for us such a contrast. Before we look forward to the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, this Friday we get to remember his death on a, con or on a cross for us, the suffering that he had to endure before the glory of heaven. Again, a contrast and I find it interesting how many contrasts uh, that we have in our own lives. If you think about yesterday's weather versus today's, right? We had to enjoy the rain before we enjoy the sun, right? Most of you, it's the weekend. During the week work, you have probably had to enjoy uh, or endure a long work week. Now you get to play on the weekend. Those of you who are students, what are you enduring before graduation? Two more months of school. Believe me, that's a, that comes home because we have a senior in the house, right? Uh, pain before, the pain of labor before delivery. Those of us who are moms in here and have given birth, we know that one really well. Think about it. We have to endure injury before we can experience healing. Grief before we can experience God's comfort. In his great mercy and his mysterious plans for us, somehow God has allowed for us to endure trials and suffering. And today we're going to wrap up our prayer series. We've been in this incredible series called Fervent, and we're going to explore how we can pray through times of adversity and discover God anew right in the midst of those prayers. A few years ago, uh, my family had an opportunity to do just that, to discover God right in the midst of a prayer. We had uh, moved out to some property north of Spokane to build our dream house, which we did. But part of the reason uh, we built that house was to uh, build a, a mother-in-law apartment on the side of the house and move my mother-in-law in. Although you get in really, really big trouble if you call it the mother-in-law apartment. It is the grandma cottage, just so that we're all clear. And so we'd been there about a year, and uh, we were awakened in the middle of the night to some really crazy pounding on our front door. And so my husband went to the door and opened it really cautiously, and he was met by eight giant 
giant police officers. They were in full SWAT gear. They had their guns and they had their flashlights. And they told my husband, you know, we've got a, an armed suspect in the area. He's already shot at police officers. We've tracked him to this residence. We believe he might actually be in your house. Do we have your permission to come in and search the premises? Right? To which my husband said, no, I own a pistol. I'm good. And he shut the door. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He didn't do that. <laughs> he didn't do that, but I gotcha. <laughs> that's, a, that's like permission for a wide open, please come in, right? So within just a few minutes, uh, we found ourselves, our two teenage boys and my husband and I, in our foyer, surrounded by officers with flashlights on us as the rest of the officers searched our house. And that is a crazy experience. We could hear them uh, over their radios uh, clearing every room, the kitchen, clear, garage, three cards there, clear, back bedroom, clear. And then we heard, wait, there's a whole other residence over here. And we remembered, oh, we forgot grandma. Don't shoot grandma. <laughs> she slept through the entire thing. So we got grandma out with us. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully, they didn't find the suspect in our house. But they had tracked his footprints to a spot that was right outside underneath our bedroom window. A little freaky, right? So they knew that he was still on the property. And so uh, they got us up. They knew it wasn't safe for our family to leave, so they got us up into a bedroom away from windows and left an armed officer with our family. And, and then the rest of them went out to hunt down their suspect. And uh, so there we were, the five of us, huddled in one of the boys' bedrooms with this uh, armed officer on his belly with his, his gun trained down uh, looking out the back window. And that is the most incredible feeling. If you are a police officer, a sheriff a deputy, a military, can I just say thank you? You, we, yeah. I don't think I ever realized the extent that you all go to to protect us normal citizens. And so that realization came full force to us as we knew that this man was, nothing was coming up those stairs. And uh, uh, so there we were. And we'd been sitting there listening to the radio traffic on his radio. And we heard the helicopters outside and the dogs searching for this guy. And uh, kind of out of the blue, after about 20, 25 minutes, my mother-in-law leans over and she whispers, maybe we should pray. <laughs> I'm like, genius idea. I wish the pastor had thought of that. <laughs> right? So we enter into prayer and it was, it was a pretty desperate prayer. Like, okay, Lord, this is real. Like, this isn't a drill. This is a big deal, and we need you right here. We need you to highlight this guy. We don't want him at loose uh, out on our property. We need you to protect those, those police officers, protect our family. And then my mother-in-law offered the sweetest prayer. She said, Lord, I ask that you protect that guy, the perpetrator, the, the suspect. And I ask that you not make him do anything that would cause the police to have to shoot him. And we all said amen, and not 30 seconds later, I kid you not, we heard, we have the suspect in our sights. They had him in the spotlight from the helicopter, and then we heard, he's armed, he's armed, move in, move in. And then we heard, well, wait, his gun is down, his hands are up, he's surrendering, full surrender. And so this man surrendered without so much as a punch thrown. And the crazy thing is we found out later that he had ties, he, was, he had neo-Nazi ties, he was completely strung out on meth, he had already shot at police officers, and he was leaving a domestic violence scene. There was no reason for him to lay down his guns. But God, right? It was an incredible, incredible experience for our family. Incredible relief. 
But we know that the Lord heard and answered our prayer almost immediately. And I know this isn't the first time in my life when I've prayed a, a really desperate prayer, but it's probably the one of the most memorable. So when have you found yourself praying a desperate prayer? prayer? Lord, I need you right now. I know many of you have over this series called Fervent. If you look around the room at these posters, there's posters up there too. They are written on these papers on the wall. Your prayers, Lord, I need you to heal me. Lord, I need you to heal my marriage. Lord, I need you to deliver so-and-so. Lord, bring so-and-so to your presence. Lord, come quickly. Lord, get me out of this situation. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Or forgotten to pray a prayer like that when the SWAT team comes to your door? <laughs> you know, my, uh, my family's experience reminds me a lot of uh, the first couple of verses of, of Psalm 102. It says, hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. Psalm 102 is actually a prayer of the afflicted, and scholars don't agree uh, who wrote it. Some think it was David as he was fleeing from his son. Some think it might have been Daniel the prophet when he was separated from his people. But both those people were navigating through really painful ordeals. No matter who the author was, I think Psalm 102 describes perfectly how most of us feel when we are in immediate need of God's help. We're scared and we're desperate, right? These are natural human emotions that we all experience when the rug gets pulled out from us, the wheels fall off the bus, the bottom drops out, things go south, or the other shoe drops, right? We all have different ways of phrasing it. But when chaos hits home, we want to know that God actually cares about this pile of manure that we're wading through. And sometimes that pile of manure is represented by a really cruddy diagnosis or a really hard betrayal or a financial woe or a relationship mess or a neo-Nazi right outside your bedroom window. We want to know that God is not going to leave us floundering in our pain. And you know what? Throughout the Bible, we see the same desire played out in God's people. And one of the most significant ones, I think, is uh, King David. We see in King David's life, he, he actually wrote many of the Psalms as prayers to the only one who had the, the power to alter his circumstances in any way. And so before king, or David was king, he actually served in the palace under King Saul. And so when he was just a 20-something, King Saul became jealous of David's success, knowing that God's favor rested on him. And so David prayed passionately. And we see that prayer in Psalm 57. He says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. Later, when he was king, he wrote Psalm 3, when he was on the run from his son who was trying to steal the kingdom from him. He poured out his complaint before God, saying, O Lord, many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. And when the Philistines seized David and threatened his life, David prayed in Psalm 56, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. I love this because we can see through the beauty of the scriptures that we're not alone in our desperation for God's mercy when we're suffering, right? But it's also through the beauty of the scriptures that we can learn to pray with fervor and with faith in the midst of our suffering. 
So I want to do just a real quick Hebrew, or Hebrew poetry lesson because many of the psalms that David wrote were a type of Hebrew poetry called laments. And a lament is simply a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And it's usually um, prayed in the midst of a trial by someone who is seeking a way out of their suffering. And a lament gives us a beautiful example of how we can be honest and real with God, pouring out our complaints, but they don't stop there. Because the laments that we see in Scripture are not just wine sessions. They are fervent prayers that take us through the suffering. At the same time, they express hope in God alone. So here's some of the key elements to a lament. A lament addresses God as the only one who has the power to deliver us. It lays out the circumstances and the complaints, and it includes a plea for mercy or healing or deliverance. But here's the big difference. It doesn't stop with woe is me. A lament always includes an expression of trust in God. It recognizes how he has been faithful, and it declares that we believe he will be faithful again. That's the hope factor. And finally, a lament includes a commitment to praise God, to honor him, to thank him for whatever he provides and whatever he's going to do. Phew, feel like you're in Hebrew 101? A <laughs> little bit, right? And that's good. Because lamenting is an important type of prayer for us to know and to practice. Because here's the reality. There is no way that any of us in here is going to es escape a trial or suffering. We live in a broken and a fallen world. We have bodies, right, that get sick. They break, they bleed, and they exude all nature of gross pus and bodily fluids. Just ask my two teenage boys. They'll give you every detailed example that you want. Our bodies are mortal, and they're fragile. They don't always work the way we want. Then there's the people factor. If you look around you, we live and work and study and even worship side to side with people all day. You want to know one of the greatest sources of human suffering in the world? Other people, right? We all know that's true. And if we look outside yesterday, we sat through a soccer game in pouring rain yesterday. Our son played through a soccer game in pouring rain. We just came back from, from Arizona where it was 85 degrees and sun. You know, Spokane is not cooperating with my desire for 85 degrees and sun. <laughs> Crazy thing is, though, it's not going to because the weather doesn't bend to my will. It won't bend to yours. So we are going to endure storms, hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, right? Accidents due to gravity or speed or some other natural force that we cannot control. There is no way that we will escape some amount of suffering in our lives. And most of the time, there's no way around, over, under. We simply have to go through suffering, through something. And praying, praying is an incredible gift to us. Learning how to pray in and through suffering is a gift. Moving beyond the complaining. Because you know what? Complaining and, and prayer that stops at the whine at just laying out what's going on, laying out the circumstance, that keeps us focused on that circumstance. That keeps us stuck in what's going on. Never moving beyond it into the hope factor. But a lament changes that dynamic. A lament acknowledges that the struggle's real, but it gives glory to God for his ability, his intention, and his heart to carry us through the struggle. That's the character of God. 
What I love about the laments that we read in the Psalms is the psalmist didn't stop at the wine. They declared God's goodness. They declared the goodness of his character in the midst of their pain. That's not always easy to do. Because suffering, it often affects our view of God. When we encounter great misery in an illness or an injury or that of a loved one, when we encounter great loss, it can actually determine for us whether we view God as the puppet master and we're the pawns in his game or the overbearing, uncaring, great dude upstairs who's turning a blind eye to our suffering or we can view him as the true source of our comfort, our hope, our endurance and our strength, the one who will carry us through the season of suffering and sanctify us in the middle of it. So let me ask you this. Which one do you see him as? Which one do you view God as when you are in the midst of a trial? The puppet master? The uncaring, overbearing dude? Or the source of your comfort and your strength to move through that trial? Here's what I believe he would say to you in that light this morning. Isaiah 43:1 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, our suffering does not define us. The adversity we face does not determine whether God sees us or how much he loves loves us. On the contrary, our suffering refines us. And if we let it, it can draw us that much deeper into God's love and his comfort. And what we see reflected in Scripture, what so many of us in this room know or maybe need to know, is that God, or turning to God in prayer can actually strengthen and give us hope for the journey. So let me give you a couple keys from the lament to remember. Rather than all those elements, let's just do two keys that infuse our prayer life as a lament. First key to lamenting is to keep it real. Keep it real. Psalm, uh, or excuse me, the, the last few verses of Psalm Uh, 102. I read the first two earlier. I want to read this in the message version. Here's what it says. God, listen to my prayer. Listen to the pain and my cries. Don't turn your back on me just when I need you so desperately. Pay attention. This is a cry for help. Hurry. This can't wait. I'm wasting away to nothing. I'm burning up with fever. I'm a ghost of my former self, half consumed already by terminal illness. My jaws ache from gritting my teeth. I'm nothing but skin and bones. All day long my enemies taunt me while others just curse. They bring me meals, casseroles of ashes. I draw drink from a barrel of my tears and all because of your furious anger. You swept me up and threw me out. There's nothing left of me. I think that gets a little real, right? And a bit dramatic. But isn't our pain dramatic? Don't we feel dramatic when we're in the midst of pain or trauma or suffering. You know what? God came to earth as a real person. He can handle our drama. He can handle the details of what we're going through. One of the biggest misnomers that I hear about prayer 
when I talk with people is, is people say, I don't know what to say to God. I don't know how to talk to him. I don't know how to pray. Can I just recommend that you start with acknowledging that he's God and you're not? And then pour out your heart. You don't need to use churchy language. You don't even need to use proper English, right? God created you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought in your brain. So he's kind of okay with you just being you when you pray, right? You can be real with God. And about the details, let me tell you this. God can handle your anger. He can handle your disappointment. He can handle your pain. And he can handle your sin. He already even knows what tools you're using to cope through your pain or your sin. So it's okay to pour all that out to him and state the obvious. There was a time quite a while back when I was processing through um, the pain of my childhood and the sexual abuse that I had experienced as a child, and I felt like that pain would never end. There were days I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then my husband got really sick, and... and uh, and I coped in any way I could. And there was a time when the Lord showed me that he sees how I'm coping. We had invited our, our uh, mentors, Peggy and Phil, to pray with us. And Phil had just prayed this beautiful prayer over my husband and my marriage. And uh, we'd invited the boys in to pray with us. And I think Adam was seven or eight, and he pipes up after Phil prayed for us. And he started praying for his mommy and daddy. And he said, Jesus, I love my mommy and daddy. Jesus, please bless my mommy and daddy. And Jesus, please help my mommy stop cussing. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. <laughs> but it got real really fast. I did a little lamenting over that one later. My son's very real prayer was an example to me that the Lord sees me. I couldn't hide any of what was going on inside or outside of me from him. But then I realized I don't have to. I don't have to hide from him when I pray. We can get real with God, and we can pour out our details to, her, to him in a lament. And I've heard a lament put this way. A lament is the outcry of the overwhelmed in the midst of faith. Don't you love that definition? The outcry of the overwhelmed in the midst of faith. Because you know what? Feeling overwhelmed is not a lack of faith. Which brings me to my next point. To lament, we stay real, and then we also keep it faithful. We keep it faithful. Psalm 62.8 says this, Trust in him, the Lord, at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. See, a true prayer of lament always includes a declaration of our trust in God as the one who can save us, can deliver us, can restore us, can heal us, can strengthen us through our suffering. It declares our trust in God and it thanks him for who he is, what he's doing in the midst of the junk, and what he's going to do, how he will see us through our suffering. And right there I need to pause. Because I know that for some of us in this room, we've had a thought just click through our head. And it does something like this, but he didn't. He didn't see me through that. So he didn't heal that cancer. He didn't restore that relationship that I was clinging to so hard and I wanted it to work. He didn't deliver me from the abuse and the neglect as a kid. He didn't save me from that accident. He didn't. How can I trust him when he's allowed me to suffer so 
much. I get it. I got to tell you, I get it. I've asked those same questions. But what I see in Scripture and what I know that I know to be true from the, from the heart of God is that we can trust him in faith. Placing our trust in God for future trials when we've already suffered is an act of faith. Think about this. We're all in this room. We're at church together here at North Church because we, we have this hope that God is who he says he is, that he's the savior of the world. That we, we're here because we have this hope that he can do what he says he will do, deliver us all from death and, and give us eternal life in heaven. And you know what? That hope unites us. But those are attitudes of faith. Those are attitudes of faith. Trusting him in the midst of adversity is simply a test of that faith. We have it in us. We have everything in us that we need to trust God with our pain. Our faith in Jesus Christ is all the refuge that we need to place our trust in him no matter what trial comes our way. And if that all seems just too simple to you, I'm going to share Corey's story with you. I've been reading a lot about Corey Ten Boom lately, and two of the books that some of you may, may have also read, uh, they're probably her most famous books, are In My Father's House and The Hiding Place. Corey's family were Christians. Her father was a watchmaker in Holland in the early 1900s, and they lived a beautiful life of family and play and faith, intermingled with ministry to their neighborhood, and um, they had loss and hardship in there, but they were happy. And then World War II hit Holland with a devastating force, and slowly at first, the Ten Boom family watched as Jewish neighbor by neighbor began to disappear. And then at nighttime, they began to show up on the Ten Boom doorstep. And Corey's family was forced or was faced with the choice to help their neighbors in need or turn a blind eye. And they chose to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to hundreds of suffering and persecuted Jews by hiding them in their house for two years during the Nazi regime. Under constant threat of, of being found out, they hid these Jewish people. And one of the moments in the story that stood out to me as if I were standing in their kitchen was when Corey and her father, Casper Tenboom, were trying to convince this pastor to hide one of the Jews. Um, they had had this young woman come um, to their doorstep, and she had a two-week-old baby. You can't silence a two-week-old baby. And they were just a few blocks from the police station, and so they knew that they couldn't hide her, that they would be discovered if they hid her in their house with her baby. And so they had a pastor friend who lived on the outskirts of town, and they'd brought him into their kitchen, and they were trying to convince him to hide this young woman and her baby. And the pastor was wrestling. He was wrestling with his fear and his compassion, but he finally declared, no, no, definitely not. My family could lose their lives for that Jewish child. And then Casper Tenboom, 80-year-old Casper Tenboom, Corey's dad, stepped forward. And he took that two-week-old baby in his arms, and he cradled that baby, and he cooed at that baby. And very, very calmly, he looked at the pastor. And he said, you say that we could lose our lives for this child. I would consider that the greatest honor that could come to my family. On February 28, 1944, that honor came to pass 
as the Gestapo raided the Ten Boom home and the entire family was arrested. As they were being ushered off to prison, Corey remembers her father, Casper, calling out to her, Corey, Corey, remember that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. He was quoting Romans 8.18. Corey's father, Casper Tenboom, lost his life. He discovered the honor of giving his life for that Jewish child just 10 days after, after being committed to a Nazi prison. Corey's sister Betsy also lost her life after many months in Ravensbrück concentration camp. However, in the midst of their starvation, their suffering, their beatings, their humiliation, before Betsy lost her life, Corey and her sister would share the gospel of Christ with the 1,400 women in their dormitory. And they experienced a peace in the midst of prison life, unlike anything that they'd ever known before as they committed daily to trust in Christ. Much later, after Corey had been released from Ravensbrook on a clerical error, we call that a miracle, she wrote The Hiding Place. And in The Hiding Place, she states, there's a sacred space in adversity, a sacred space in adversity in which your faith deepens and it only comes through suffering. This is the power of the gospel in sustaining souls through trials. Jesus' sustaining grace is imparted in the midst of affliction. I've got to tell you, I have found Corey's story so incredibly inspiring to me because she's one of those people who has suffered more than any of us in this room will ever imagine or could imagine, and yet she lived her life in a way that implicitly placed her trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. She didn't allow her circumstances to determine her faith because she knew that no matter what she, stu what she suffered, Jesus understood and how could she be so sure? The same way that we can be sure. We can be so sure that he sees us and understands our pain because he showed us. In the midst of his greatest trial, Jesus prayed a prayer that was not only gut level honest with God about what he was facing, but also declared trust in his Abba, his Father. Here's the backstory. Jesus had just shared the Passover meal with his disciples, and he had told them, I'm going to have to leave you. I will have to suffer. And then he had taken his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the, mount, uh, the foot of the Mount of Olives, and he knew this place, and he went there to pour his heart out before the, the Lord. And Luke 22 tells it this way. It says, he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. This is such a vivid picture of Jesus' humanity. See, in no way did he want to suffer the pain that he knew was coming. He'd been on earth about 33 years by now. You can bet he had seen criminals be crucified. He had seen the nails pounded into their wrists and into their ankles. He'd seen them hanging there, gasping for breath, suffocating under their body weight. Jesus knew that incredible suffering was directly in front of him. And so he gives us the most incredible example of prayer that we have to follow. He got real with his, with his dad. 
He got real with God and lamenting what was about to happen, even pleading with his father to spare him the agony. He pled with his father until his sweat dropped like blood onto the ground. But he didn't leave that prayer there because then Jesus goes on to declare the most incredibly courageous words in all scripture. He says, but your will be done, Lord, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. In the face of his greatest suffering, as human emotion in him fought the choice, Jesus chooses to surrender his will to the will of his Father. And how does God respond? How does his Father respond? He sends an angel. He shows Jesus that he heard him and that there was still suffering to go through. And he sends an angel to strengthen Jesus, enabling Jesus to endure the suffering before him. And I love this. I love this because Jesus gets it. He gets what we go through. There is nothing that we can face on this earth that Jesus doesn't get or understand. Nothing that we can go through that he won't meet us in the middle of. And yet here we are in 2019 and we live in this culture that avoids pain and suffering at all costs. In fact, most of the time we revolve our lives around avoiding pain and suffering. We live in this society that often turns its back on the one who can deliver us, who can heal us, who can save us, who can restore us after we've been broken. And yet this week, this week is one in which we get to celebrate the sacrifice Jesus made for us because we can be assured that Jesus gets us. And he's with us no matter what kind of waters we will navigate or the nature of our suffering. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. This week can be the one where we turn our hearts back to him in lament, trusting him, trusting his will, and trusting his love for us. And, you know, as we wrap up this series on prayer, I think it's vital that we know that God hears our prayer and he responds. He's with us in the midst of our afflictions. He hears us, loves us. And yet at times, for purposes that only he knows that are mysterious to us, at times he will allow us to suffer. But if we let him, he will strengthen us for the hardest battles we can ever fight. And how can we be so sure? Because he did that for his son. It's Friday we're going to celebrate. Yes, I use that word celebrate again. The death of our Savior on a cross. Because before we can celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday, we have to acknowledge the sacrifice that he made for us on Good Friday. I want to invite all of you back to that Good Friday service. It's an incredible celebration of Jesus. And because Jesus did, he laid his life down. He chose to pay the penalty for our sins. He made a way for us to be with the Father in heaven forever. For those who put their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who take that step of faith, the promise of eternal life is ours. We no longer need to fear death because we know that it's not the end. When we accept Christ, we know that, that our death here on earth is just the beginning of our life in heaven. We also know that, that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, to strengthen us through the trials here on earth that we will go through. So I wonder if that's your desire, not to just get out of the circumstance you're in, but to know the one who can strengthen you in the middle of it, to know the relationship 
with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He waits for us to come to him and unburden us, or unburden ourselves with our sufferings, but to trust him in the midst of it. So will you pray with me? I want to talk to the, those in the room who've never made a declaration of faith in Christ, and, and this may be all new to you, but man, there's something that resonates in your heart, and you want with everything you have to say yes to Christ. It's not a decision to be made lightly following Christ is a commitment, but it will be the best decision you ever make. And so I want to ask if that's you and you want to commit your life to Christ. Pray this with me. Jesus, I love you. I acknowledge that you are the Son of God and you came to earth as a man and you died for my sins. I ask your forgiveness, Lord, for the ways I've sinned against you. And I receive you into my heart as your Savior and I commit to follow you Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me for the trials ahead. And I love you. For the rest of us, maybe there's somebody in here who's uh, <laughs> in the midst of the fire, pretty deep waters in your life. Lord, I pray for that person right now. I pray that they would know you in a greater way. Lord, would you magnify yourself in their lives? Magnify yourselves in our lives. That we would know not just your strength, but the joy that it is to draw close to you. That that joy would stand out against all reason, against society. Having joy in the middle of suffering is not normal, Lord. And thank you that you don't call us to be normal. That you call us to stand apart. So, Father... We ask that you give us everything we need in our spirit, in our mind, and our soul to say yes to trusting you with our circumstances. And we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Glendy. That was awesome. Very inspiring. What a great way to... Uh, to wrap up our prayer series. And though we're wrapping it up, remember that this is just the beginning of just entering into a life of prayer, right? No matter what we're going through and in all the waiting, when we're waiting for God to answer some of these big prayer requests, we want to just draw closer to Christ and to get to know Him better. And so as we're asking, you know, you can only ask so many times before it's like, well, here I am. Maybe I should just really get to know your heart, God. And uh, so in that, we get to know him better and better. So I want to encourage you to do that in your own life. Hey, if you need prayer, our prayer team is right over here every Sunday ready to pray for you. If you are new or newer to the church, would like to learn how to get better connected, I'll be right underneath this monitor to say hello to you. And uh, God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you. Good Friday. If you can help us on our uh, kids' ministry for just for one of the Easter services. Go out and see Ryan, please.